I actually, I met you, Mike, I want to say in 2015 um, and, and things were maybe 2016 and things were really just starting for headline. Right. Um, you know, what you guys have done since has been nothing short of outstanding. So maybe also just a few words on sort of like the last five years and, and how you guys have gone from just the initial wicks of the world to sort of being this marquee um, brand for, for tech in, in oh. Israel. Well, I think it's a little more luck than brains. And I have to, you know, uh, give the credit to the ecosystem as well. Um, we had a strong foundation in the, in the fact that Daphne and John coming from journal, uh, journalistic backgrounds made this a journalist shop. It completely journalist driven shop from the beginning, meaning if the story wasn't there and it wasn't something they'd be interested in covering, we passed. And that was kind of the mantra that was built into this place. And I don't think we were so, um, we weren't, you know, it wasn't so altruistic. I think the simple premise was PR is in brain surgery. If the story is good and you work hard and you grind over time, you're going to get coverage if the story's there. And, and the second aspect was, you know, why do you want to bother journalists with, with shitty stories? Uh, so if we've got good stories that are relevant to the discussions that are going on, let's find companies that are doing, you know, interesting stuff and take those on. And the third aspect is, and you know, this, you know, working at PR is hard and, and, pitching crappy companies banging your head against a wall where they don't have a story is just going to lead to burnout. And, and that was kind of embedded into us. So we were really fortunate from the get-go to take on a certain type of company that kind of positioned us up market. And I have to credit the VCs, uh, specifically Viola and, and Aleph and a number of others that picked up on that and trusted us. They said, okay, these guys don't take anything that's coming down the line. And we were really lucky that they were able to funnel us some of the best companies in the ecosystem. So, you know, Wix, you know, was a stamp of approval and then Iron Source came and a bunch of other big ones, but it, it all kind of built in to, to, to a kind of an evolving ecosystem where if, I don't know if you remember when we first came on the scene, you know, the tech companies were big and slow moving. A marketer was considered, you know, somebody who did uh, conference organizing. Like there was nothing. And I think LinkedIn and Facebook changed that because all of a sudden we were consuming more content of the marketers here. So they started with that, you know, old telecom marketers. And then you had the evolution into around 2015 of like the people coming out of gaming, coming out of ad tech, coming out, you know, the growth hackers. And yeah. they were more aware of, wait a second, there's, you know, there's a different way to do this. Um, and that really dovetailed, you know, all of a sudden they're reading LinkedIn and Facebook and seeing their competitors being everywhere. And they're like, Oh, we could be there too. So we kind of came at the right time with the right offering um, and looking for the right types of companies. So it was really a lot of luck. And now, you know, we've, we saw that shift in the ecosystem and now we're shifting again uh, to this incredibly exciting, like we've been talking about scale up for a few years, but now it's really happening with the IPOs and SPACs. Like now there's another need, you know, the storyteller we're in, we're getting into the storyteller era of marketing out of Israel. And, uh, and yeah, it's really, really exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm going to jump down the, the question list a little bit, cause it's just, you know, perfectly, uh, for perfectly, um, you know, uh, connected to this, this statement you made about, we turn down, uh, companies that don't have good stories. Uh, and I, I want to unpack that a little bit more. So, um, what is a good story and, and how have you developed this, you know, sort of, selection criteria for a good story over time well, i wish it was scientific you know what i mean like it's you know it's like what do they say with the definition of porn i can't define it but i know it when i see it uh i think yeah. it's congress um 
it, it sort of fits like that. But but the truth of the matter is we were really careful. I think that, that that's also shifted and, and we're in this very, very strange time where, um, and I think you talked about this in one of the clubhouse meetings that you had maybe a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I was laying in a bathtub listening to it, where you were talking about the, the runway between seed and A being a lot shorter. And, and I think that has to do with, with, with this conversation as well, where, you know, a lot of companies would come to us uh, early, early, early stage. And as a PR firm, you just don't have enough meat on the bone, right? So they, yes, they want their seed announcement out there, but there's no clients and there's no product and there's no data. And, and it's not fully cooked yet in, in, from a PR perspective. It could be incredible from, you know what I mean? From a business perspective, what they've done and the technology could be exciting. But so I think that some of those companies, um, early days, we, we passed on a lot um, because we just didn't feel like we could bring ROI. Like you need stuff to pitch. And that's by the way, changing with thought leadership and other options where we can talk about. Um, and yep. then there's the companies that, that actually uh, are incredible companies. Like a JFrog came to us before they IPO'd. And you know what? JFrog targets app developers. And the truth of the matter is app developers argue on Reddit, you know, living in their mom's basement in their underwear. I can't reach those guys. I can't bring return on investment to, to those, you know, those types of companies. You have to make that distinction. That's a billion dollar company. It's an incredible company, but if sometimes right. no story. And by the way, cyber is, I think that cyber is a perfect example where we haven't bit that hard into cyber only when there's been certain companies that are different, like the Argus's, like the companies that have that great storyline that you can run with. And, and like, we have to look as a PR company on where we can provide value. Um, okay, wait, but let, let's just stop for one second on the JFrog uh, comment because, you know, app developers is one audience, but if you're going public, you really care more about retail investors and institutional correct. investors. And so I don't think they were coming to you for customers. I think they were coming to you. So when people Googled their name, they see Wall Street Journal, New York Times, whatever. So tell us more about turning them down, not just in the app developer so this is, audience. This is actually probably a year and a half or two years before IPO. So also okay. like, think about it. We're living in this context as well. So IPO wasn't really on the table. Like you weren't immediately thinking a company that's raised a few hundred million bucks is going to IPO now. Like that wasn't the conversation even a year ago. Okay. So a few years ago, when a company like that comes to you, you're like, oh, what am I going to do for them aside from, and then here's the big shift that's going on now, which we're seeing, I think we're in the midst of six or seven IPOs right now, which is unprecedented right. Um, where all of a sudden the companies are shifting from let's call it tech to tech marketing where you're you know essentially speaking to other tech companies uh, about yeah. acquisition or investors about 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 you know the potential of the technology where you're we call it in here uh blue ocean conversations where mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit you're speaking to investors so yeah. what you're really communicating is hey you know to use the Wix example, less than 1% of companies have websites. That, right. you know, rather than talking about the technology that Wix is employing, this is a way to say, this is a blue ocean, jump in. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of companies are going through that and JFrog could certainly be involved in that conversation now, but it wasn't like that, you know what I mean, a year ago. So I think that like that's shifted pretty, pretty dramatically. Um, other companies, by the way, that we said, don't you have great stories, but not sustainable? If you've mm -hmm. heard of that, what's that window washing robotics company? Right. Um, yeah. We used to call it internally that. supermarket robots company that came to us really great founder, but you know, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I can get this on CNN. What am I going to do next week for them? 
<laughs> data, a data report on guys falling out of the sky, washing windows. Like, you know what I mean? It's not sustainable. So it wasn't really our vibe, but again, like everything's being reshuffled now because like we're in the midst of this really, really interesting transformation with all this money pouring in with seed investment being so high uh, yeah. and the runway being so short, you need time to build a brand and a narrative and all that stuff. And now uh, I'm finding that, that it's going to become the onus is on founders to kind of take this on earlier and earlier. If you could wait till like raising that a round and then start with PR, I think now, Oh man, you got to move really, really quick. Um, it's a really aggressive marketplace, uh, even if you don't have those news hooks. So it's thought leadership, it's Wikipedia pages, it's, it's you know what I mean? It's contributed. Or, uh, yeah, Reddit, whatever you exact, find media, on the internet LinkedIn, whatever. Is, now, is now an, an opportunity. So I think we're, we're, you know, branching out beyond the traditional definition of PR, but maybe let's just take a step back and, and talk about what this actually, what this term actually means. So when you meet Israeli founders, hmm. how are they thinking about PR and sort of how do you maybe advise them to think slightly differently? Like what, what are some common patterns you see when you first uh, engage with an Israeli founder about, about uh, this, the, the value of this service? Well, I, I think that's also uh, something that's been a part of the transition. Um, okay. Meaning 10 years ago, you literally had to hold their hand and explain what this is to the point where, you know, their, their experience with the press was based on local relationships. Yeah. And I think we had to do a lot of market education, um, maybe to the detriment of, of, of other agencies, even uh, saying, it's not about your friends. You know, the fact that I have drinks with somebody at TechCrunch does not mean that I'm going to get you coverage. It's right. not, you know, like a shuk, like in Israel, where you know Mayor Orbach, or you have a, a, an intimate relationship with these, these four or five journalists that cover. We're talking right. about different things. So I think the first thing was um, explaining and kind of like educating the market uh, in the fact that um, it's not about who you're friends with. It's about the power of the story and the value you bring to things. So that was the, the first thing to kind of have to drill in. Um, yeah. The second thing was obviously at, we're an Israel-based agency. So we had to overcome the fact that, you know, well, why aren't I, you know, taking somebody out of New York or San Francisco who hangs out and knows the journalist? Again, it ties to the first point. And, yeah. we, you know, we had to kind of tell them the days of Mad Men are over. The media industry's collapsed. The journalists, first of all, can't afford to live in San Francisco or New York anymore. <laughs> they just can't afford to it. They're pounding out 10 stories a day. They don't have time to go out and get drunk with you, even if you're paying the bill. So, it's, right. uh, so that, I think, uh, had to be drilled in. Now, think about how many agencies made their living saying, I'm, you know, I know this one and I know that one. And it happens in Israel. It happens you know, everywhere. I think agencies in the States do the same thing. We right. have relationships with the journalists. The nature of the relationship has changed. It's about value. You know what I mean? Uh, a friend will do you a favor once, journalist friend. But if you're right. not bringing value, it ain't getting by the editors. So I think that that was the first thing. And, and then the measurement, um, which I actually really credit the Israeli founders for being very open-minded about measurement and PR is a nightmare. Like they've been trying yeah. to measure PR, you know, I think originally they measured ink in the column. Uh, yeah. That was the measurement. And there's been some great technologies that have come out now, but again, it's, it's not like growth hacking. It's not like uh, measuring performance marketing. It's something entirely different. And I'm actually super impressed by how quickly the Israeli founders have picked up to the value of PR. They see the impact in terms of, you know, Boom, the popping kind of like becoming an it company through uh, the right, you know, a campaign at the right time. And, and I thought they'd been, they really adapted quickly. Cause think about it. You're going in and you're saying, 
I'm going to cost anywhere from, you know, I'm making a ballpark eight to $15,000 a month, but I can't promise you coverage and it's going to take time and you can't measure the results and (laughs) and we'll see what happens. Go pick that to an Israeli founder and honestly, like, well, you know, we're a 45 person agency or whatever, you know what I mean? Like they've bought in um, to, to the value of that. And I think that that's about being honest and not bullshitting them and saying, yeah, this is going to be a long, hard run. I can't promise you anything. Anybody who does is, is full of shit. Um, so I think that they're actually quite good about, about understanding the value of it. Um, and, and not having too many misconceptions. The biggest challenge is again, is, is timeline that it's a long marathon, as you know, Max, like, you don't do it in one day, you know, and one-off announcements don't really move the needle. It's, it really is building a cadence or a drumbeat. You're choppy to me a little bit. How choppy to you? You're black. A little bit. <laughs> okay. Your, screen, your screen's still black. Fine. So let's, we'll just go to, to audio for now. Let's do an um, audio. Yeah. Just to save the, save the bits and bites. Okay. So, um, you know, you're, you're talking about having convinced the Israeli ecosystem to understand the value of PR, which is a heroic uh, achievement. Um, but if you had to get a little bit more specific around where you think that sort of ROI is likely to be the highest, um, what is that, what stage of a company's life do you think that, you know, you kind of have the most bang for the buck when it comes to PR? Oh, another tough question. You know, if you ask that, uh, you asked a founder who's, you know, an early stage trying to go, he's about to go on a roadshow, trying to raise that first round. Um, and we get a ton of these types coming early stage companies and they need that coverage for that. You know, as you guys know, a little that Google news search before they come in, uh, I would say to them, a few key placements at that time are absolute game changers and right. worth anything. Right. Uh, Cause it keeps them afloat. And I, I can't tell you actually how many companies we've had that have been just before closing uh, like literally on their last legs, they've gotten rid of all their staff and they've kept us on, which is shocking to me. You know, you go there for a meeting and everybody's gone and, and it's like the, the dead man's last pistol shot, the PR, right? Maybe a yeah. game changing article is going to bring in an investor or whatnot. Um, traditionally, uh, again, you know, w- we traditionally looked at it as when there's enough meat on the bone for you to create a sustained drumbeat. So, okay. you know, do you have, you know, uh, um, clients that you can talk about or a data insight that, that we can use to kind of position you into a bunch of conversations? At what point do you have that? Um, partnership announcements, you know, new products that are coming out. If there's actual news, that yeah. is the, uh, the highest thing. Um, now it's changing. It's really, really changing. And it's changing on both ends of the spectrum. As we talked yeah. about, you need it early because it's, it's the, the whole timeline has been like fast forwarded. So, you know, even at, at seed stage, you could start positioning yourself to, to, to be a part of multiple conversations that tie to your space and start building up thought leadership. So I think it, it, it you know, coming out of the gate with already that kind of awareness, the relationships in place. And I'm not talking about like even hiring an agency at that point. Like, you know, if the founders can track your competitors, do a Google news search on the companies that you see as relevant. I'm telling you, you're going to get those 10, 15 journalists that, that write about your space that are interested in, in these types of conversations and you can develop relationships with them. It's not that hard if you bring them value. So, yeah. so I think you can do that early. Um, but now the big thing is, you know, everybody is kind of on their back legs trying to run and, and shift to, to building 
an awareness right around that A round because they know that that potential IPO or SPAC is around the corner. So we're seeing an incredible drive to brand build now. And listen, if, if you know, it's all storytelling at that point and it's all PR, a huge part of it. You're not going to get there through performance marketing or, or, or you know, it's, it, it's a game changer. So as we see more and more later stage companies coming at it, it, that I think is the biggest ROI in terms of, of timing that yeah. you're really, 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 really going to get the, the major bag because here it positions you to, to actually meet the money. Um, and right. big difference because in the past you could be a great B2B, uh, you know, deep tech company and still get acquired, right? Cyber companies and whatnot without ever really delving into PR. You can do traditional marketing in your vertical and, and do well. When we're talking about you know opening up other opportunities, here it's uh, here it's game changing, and and that's what we're going through right now in this ecosystem, which is really exciting. Yeah, I mean it, it's funny, right? Because PR stands for public relations, and yeah. typically you know you didn't have to go public, so who really cares about what the the public thinks? But now it's uh, you know it's sort of an existential thing for for any company that wants to have a a public image. You really have to do public relations. Um, er earlier than you even think. So um, you did mention kind of the ability for a younger startup to kind of go direct to the journalists that are covering the competitors or the, the verticals that maybe, you know, the, the, the company's operating in. But what are sort of the advantages and disadvantages of keeping something like that in-house versus, you know, sort of outsourcing it to an agency like Headline? Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, you know, in general, I like, I'm always like excited when I see founders getting in touch with me and telling me they've been doing their PR early stage on their own. I think it shows, you know, first of all, an awareness of the importance of it down the road yeah. and, yeah. and a lot of get up and go. And, and, and so I kind of celebrate that when they do that. And I'm happy, you know, I share media contacts with them, whatever I can do to kind of facilitate that. Uh, I think it's a great thing because these are the types of people also that eventually bring in somebody great or hire an agency and, and actually work very, very well because they know the value of this. Um, from what I've seen, uh, I'm, I am a big fan of, of agency over in-house. Um, first of all, um, tech PR has changed. First, like it, first of all, I run an agency. So. Yeah. No, you know. <laughs> I think the it's it's in-house PR is a really really tough gig, meaning um, it's hard to you know have the flow of of you know outreach to so many different types of journalists and manage that. Um, I think like I have an incredible incredible amount of respect for people that are doing it on their own in-house. Um, what I tend to see is even with the best practitioners they tend to be pigeonholed. So it becomes very vertical oriented. And that makes sense. They, they're not, you know, we're a generalist firm, so we're cross-pollinating. So we're dealing with, with journalists from covering tech uh, across the spectrum of verticals and that creates right. opportunities, right? It also plugs you into much wider stories. How, you know, uh, cyber is connecting with AI, all these kind of things stay together. And I think that what, what we tend to see is this leads to like the bigger placements yeah. And getting plugged into bigger places. It's also you're you're in touch. If I'm in touch, you know, through 45 or 50 companies with so many different types of journalists, there's just going to be more opportunities coming right. through an agency to get right. that inflection point uh, media coverage or media piece that companies are looking for. And I think that in-house are are just buried. And 
PR is hard, man. It's a lot of grunt work. You've done it. Media list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, calling media list thing and thing. And, and by the way, like pitching journalists, the same journalists over and over in a, in a vertical, they get tired of hearing from you. Right. Um, and, and by the way, this is my critique, by the way, of generalist agencies that only do cyber, or only do automotive. You mean specialist agencies. Specialists. Yeah. I think that, you know, they're pitching the same journalists over and over again, and the coverage always looks the same. It's, yeah. you know, it's managing this, this, the, these, these, you know, trade publications. And, and I think it gets a little stale. We saw this with automotive when automotive really got hot. How long ago was that, Max? When automotive I think 20, 2017 was like the, the peak. So we, we had this like inflow of, of incredible automotive company, uh, companies, you know, uh, in the mobility and, and, and auto tech space. It was Nexar, it was VI, it was, it, there was a ton of them. Right. And, and they had been using Detroit-based agencies that were traditionally automotive. Right. And yes, they knew how to do auto trade, you know, targeted at the OEMs, that kind of stuff. But when it came to like positioning these companies as tech companies, it got really, really tricky. They couldn't make mm -hmm. that transition. And we were fortunate enough to be able to kind of clean up there and, and do some great work with some incredible companies. Um, but, but I think that in-house and, and generally you'll see most companies that do well with in-house PR eventually have their in-house person managing an agency it, across the board. Look at Placers doing incredible, Ethan Tronofsky at Placers doing incredible work um, uh, using PR as, as a marketing tool. And and full disclosure, Ethan used to work for Headline. Okay, go Ethan on. is is as good a PR guy as there is, and he's got an agency supporting him because it's just that you know difficult. And you see this across the board, um, you know whether it's Melissa Zalouf at Iron Source, also uh, ex Headliner has an agency. Like you you know what I mean? It it becomes you need both, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you see the value of using Aton from Fredos, uh, used us for many years. You know what I mean? Like this is Aton's concern. All these people know how to pitch journalists. They know what the vibe is, but right. um, it's a wider range of reach that, uh, that I don't think you can overcome it. And I just don't see that many brands doing it that successfully when they're only in-house. It, it's, it's absolutely, it's like how many of, you know, the great tech companies are, are bootstrapped at the end of the day. Um, most of the great, you know, giants all came from venture funding and I kind of right. compare it to that. So, so what's the best way to manage an agency to make sure that you're getting the best possible results? Um, so, so first of all, the whole process of choosing the right PR partner is vital. Like it really, really, really is. Um, uh, speaking to the agency, finding out, Obviously, who's going to be on the account speaking to X clients? I send the list of X clients to, to potentials as well. Yeah. Like, see, see what we did badly. No, no agency has all the tools. Like, it right. just doesn't exist. So like a marketer, you want to, you know, people, you know, I'm sure you go through this too, are looking for marketers all the time in the ecosystem. I want somebody who can growth hack, who's a storyteller, who can... No, you know, like these things don't all live. No one agency has all these attributes. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, that it's really, really important to find the right fit and what you need at that time. Um, and whether it's, a, you know, a starter agency, it could also, by the way, be a great freelancer. Uh, and there's some fantastic people, freelancers that, that just crush it are absolutely incredible. Um, mm -hmm. The number one thing I think is, is yes, yeah, speaking to the clients, you can't look at, you know, we have a ton of insure tech companies coming to us from all over the place. And they're looking at our work with Lemonade and Next Insurance and a couple of others. Right. And the first thing I tell them is, dude, you can't look at Lemonade. Like the, 
don't use lemonade as an example. Like it's such an outlier, right? Yeah, that's yeah. not going to be. You're not going to catch lightning in a bottle. It was a. It was the best story for the best timing. You know, of all, you know, it's just the right story at the right time. That, yeah, we're not going to get you those types of results. Um, so I think that right. you know, just knowing, you know, what kind of you can't come to, uh, you know, if you're if you're a, a consumer brand or, you know, a consumer brand, you're looking at a B2B, I don't know that it's the best fit. So know who you're looking at and see the types of companies they've worked with that you have a similar story. Um, if you're a boring B2B and you're asking me about my case study with a lemonade or a light tricks, you know, you, you're not, you're not, you're not looking in the right spot. So I think that that's a number one important thing and yeah, get to know the people that are going to work on the account. We've scaled up and we've made a, a really, really, really big effort to keep, quality control, you know, and, and kind of like spread out. We're kind of heavy at the top, which we're really yeah. fortunate to be. Um, yeah. But not every account team is going to be equal. Uh, right. And, you know, and the founders, uh, you know, are one way and the VPs are another. And we work so hard to kind of like level it out. We never built the agency around our superstar founders, uh, Daphne and John. That was never going to be like kind of like Blonde did a little bit where they right. focus on the people. Um, right. Uh, we never wanted to do that because it wasn't scalable. Uh, the trick is to, you know, use your talent to like strengthen all the other people in the agency. Right. Um, and I think that that's uh, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest things uh, that are important. And, and then uh, in terms of the management, once you've chosen the right one, yeah. first of all, trust. And I see it here, positive attitude with the team, like appreciate what they do. Cracking a whip on a PR team is not yeah. going to do it's it. It's the worst way. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the worst way. And I see the way our people kill themselves for the ones that, are, for the clients that appreciate it most. Mm. Um, there's completely self-driven. It's just like basic management principles. You can't yeah. look at them as a service provider. The more you make them feel like a partner, yeah. a strategic partner, the more you're going to get out of the agency 24 seven. Um, and, and again, we've been really, really lucky about that because you can pick that kind of attitude out from the beginning, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but it's really important. You, you know, it really, really is. And you see this good managers, manager agencies really, really, really well and get a ton. Yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's really important to, to consider them as a partner and, and as human beings, not just as outsourced, you know, media coverage that you need to just kind of expect to, to work on autopilot. Um, now, you know, the, the, the whole entire industry has shifted a lot in the last couple of years in terms of what does it even mean to be a journalist, right? So, you know, to, you used to have sort of these, these walled gardens and, you know, uh, some sort of mono monopoly over distribution and the internet has, you know, very much, um, you know, democratized journalism and you have more influence coming from, you know, newsletters and, uh, investors with large Twitter followings than you've ever had before. Uh, you even have Andreessen spinning up their own media organization, basically, you know, saying, forget traditional media, we're just going to generate our own stories. And, and you know, we have the, the distribution to compete. So when you think about taking on a client in today's world, and getting them coverage, how do you kind of integrate this this landscape um, to sort of help the, the company achieve their, their business outcomes? It's the most pressing question right now. 
like meaning media continues, like we've been through this change of, of outlets closing, less and less journalists having jobs, right? Every year, you know, we, we work off Muckrack, Incision, and, 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 and these variety of platforms that, that I'm sure you know, and, right. and you see the numbers getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And the first like the struggle was, you know, well, what are the, especially for an agency like us, which is, you know, traditional journalists, uh, driven shop. Um, it was really hard for us contributors. The whole contributor racket was like, you know, it was, it was nuts to us at the beginning. Um, right. what do you mean? These aren't journalists. They're, they're like marketers that are, or, or, or VCs that have, you know, that, that we're pitching to write about our companies. Very, very strange. We had to wrap our, our, our heads around that, but it was really just uh, an indication of where this market is going. And, and you, you give a perfect example with Adresen, this like, now it's like Trump kind of put everything on steroids uh, and it's the extension of like fake news or, 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 or multiple, you know, multiple platforms where, where you can get your information from. We're going to have to change. It really, really is changing. So you've got these two, two separate things. You've got so much noise and so many platforms that you can go to that have tremendous amounts of eyeballs. Right. But on the other hand, we still want credibility. We still want that third party endorsement from a credible outlet. And I think that there's still value in that, right? Mm -hmm. There's still, there's still, so I think that there's going to have to be a balance now where an agency like us is going to have to up their game and go to all these multiple platforms for the eyeballs, but you need to balance it still with that traditional media relations with the journalists that are, are still holding to the old rules. Um, you know, you, you still, you still want that stamp of approval or else it all becomes kind of fluff and bullshit. Right. Uh, and, but it's, it's going to be a really, really challenging. I said, no agency has it all. You know, we were essentially a hotshot messaging and media relations shop. So I wouldn't even, you know, we call ourselves PR because nobody would understand what that is in this market. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that's what we did, right? We were great. We had a good nose for messaging and, and could turn a phrase pretty well. And, right. uh, and, and essentially we were a media relations shop. Um, now it's forcing us to, to think a lot broader and it's a challenge. It's a challenge for us for sure. Again, we yeah. don't, control, you know, so I could, uh, yeah, I, mean, I could talk a whole podcast about this things we do in a shitty way. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll do We'll definitely do a follow-up one titled how to do things in a shitty way with, with Mike and Max. <laughs> things, um, things, we, things headline don't know how to do at all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, to, just to, to wrap this question up before moving on to the next one, you know, I think about a month and a half ago, Elon Musk tweeted some video of some random, you know, industrial automation company, in Sterot in, in Israel. Um, and no one could have expected that, but I can tell you that that one tweet probably did more for that company's standing and then sort of the public relations sphere than maybe even, you know, a, a, a mention in, in a journal article would. Obviously they wouldn't get a headline at, you know, the pre-seed or the seed stage. So I guess uh, just to, to wrap this question, how do you think about Twitter as part of the overall you know, strategy that, that Israeli founders need to need to consider when they're thinking about PR? Well, I think that ties into thought leadership and relationship building. I want to address this Zerot thing for a second, because we've seen this happen a, a few times with Israeli companies. And I'm going back six, seven, eight years where Oprah, there was some kind of Israeli technology. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. That was doing some really actually weird, like borderline 
something about fat removal, like moving. Okay, great. And they were doing like these like injections and it would move the fat to a different, and they went on Oprah and the stock shot up. And I have a natural uh, fear of, of these kind of like um, hard marketed fast bumps, meaning we saw this, what was Max, what was the name of that company? Oh, StoreDot. You remember the battery, the fast changing battery? Sure incredible sure. technology raised a shit ton of money from like right. massive investors samsung among them i think right. um incredible vcs backing them and the coverage if you recall and i think it was actually blonde um was off the charts like like you know 30 seconds they were they were selling a story that's like charge your battery in 30 seconds this is the newest thing right. and it was the darling of ces and and all that and it made me always nervous that when you're coming out with that kind of promise and that kind of buzz, it's fleeting and also yeah. it can create an expectation that's not right. realistic. And by the way, this scared me with lemonade. And yeah. you know, in the first year we handling lemonade, um, lemonade had not a, they didn't have a product nor a, uh, nor a business model. Okay. And, and, but they had great branding and a great message, right? Insurance is broken, peer to peer, all these like really great angles, Dan Ariely, and, you know, just brilliant, brilliant PR uh, and community, strategic communication uh, initiatives. And at some point, the jur- uh, we were really nervous because the journalists were coming back and saying, okay, you know, I get it. You guys are real sharp. Where, where's the meat? And, and it just at that right time, you know, Lemonade knows how to do this just perfectly, right? They turn the, turn the corner and boom, again, they release this, you know, incredible business model and everything comes, you know, everything works out yeah. and they've done this time and again. I get really nervous. Uh, you know, you can, you can overpromise uh, mm-hmm. the market and, and your fall can be really hard. Like a company like store.now, once you haven't, you know, delivered on that promise and I'm sure the technology is incredible, you've got to climb out of a hole a little bit. And I, and I think so. So even with Elon's like, like tweet, I think that that's, that can be, sometimes it's a great boost for, you know, a door opener, but sometimes that, that can hurt you. A, a little bit if you don't follow it up with the right type of communication strategy. And we've seen yeah. this happening before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a part of the landscape now. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, messaging. Um, I think you were, were talking about how that kind of was your initial pitch to the ecosystem and then it became PR because it was easier for them to, to understand what it meant. But I think messaging is probably among the top, you know, among the, the, the top three most important things that a company needs to, to nail in order to succeed, right? Because we're all humans at the end of the day, we need language, and we need visual to, um, to, you know, to make us tick. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, uh, the, the verbal versus the visual are two different types of messaging. Let's talk more about the, the language right now. But um, a lot of a lot of companies these days are using agencies to sort of help them with v1 or v2 of messaging and positioning and my sense is that these agencies you know are are pretty good on some level at at getting you to a good place but i don't know that they're really um you know touching the the market when it comes to pr as they go through these exercises and thinking is this a journalist message or is this just a customer message and you kind of need to think about journalists i would say as their own sort of buyer persona and audience um, so I'm wondering, you know, what you see in, in the messaging front today coming out of agencies and how that kind of uh, bumps up against your perspective as sort of a, a media relations uh, expert. And if you ever kind of have to go back to a startup and say, 
hey guys, hey girls, I'm sorry to tell you this, but this just ain't going to work. I know you just spent a hundred grand to get your, your brand in shape, but trust me, the, the, the media is not going to cover it like this. So it's happened. <laughs> you actually bring up a really good point. And, and it's something that's continuing to kind of happen in the ecosystem as more and more people are, are turning to agencies. And you're, it's not just branding agencies. Again, there's, you know, agencies popping up that just do the messaging and, you know, narrative building, whatever they're calling it, storytelling, which is the most overused word uh, and should be retired. Um, so I've seen it. I'll start at the top where we've walked in after a branding exercise and they've spent 100, 150 grand uh, on this thing. And, you know, essentially it's a slogan and it's, and it's very, you know, the branding is almost like a combination of, of not only what partially what the market needs to hear, but it also is a reflection of the founders hopes and dreams of what they are and how they perceive themselves. It's like yeah. this combination of thing. And we've walked in and they want to feel cool and they want to feel sexy and you know, and it ties into recruitment and, and, and we've walked in and, and looked at it and said, Oh God, like this is <laughs> going to pass the smell test. Like you're hundred percent right. It's about different stakeholders and journalists are cynical bastards, as you know. And if yeah. I'm going to come in with them with this, you know, uh, this, you know, cheesy, you know, uh, these cheesy catchphrases, listen, at the end of the day, branding is marketing material. And it is a little bit different. And again, I, we could argue about what is PR, what is branding, uh, what companies need at, at, at the beginning stage. I think Atreo, which does great work, by the way, and Carmel's a wonderful guy. Um, yeah. They do a thing at the, for early stage companies. I think they have an offering called debranding, where it's just getting the narrative right at the beginning mm -hmm. and then waiting. And they, they fundamentally believe that a company has to wait till they're around that A round where they really yeah. fully cook to dig in and say, okay, who the hell are we? Um, yeah. and I, and I totally respect that. Um, but yeah, we've seen my, my beef is with, you know, so the branding agencies, I've seen a trail bring us in and, uh, and awesome. And some of the clients forcing us into the room at the tail end of the branding process and adding like a oh, messaging wow. layer. So saying, okay, we want to, how do we adapt this for journalists? Like, is there something yeah. we can tag in what's working, what's for, from a media perspective. And I think some of the best agencies do that. And, and some of the really sharp clients do that as well. Hey, let us sit in on the last, you know, section, the last two weeks of your branding experiment and let's uh, or process and let's talk about it. Um, with the agencies, which is now, uh, there's a bunch of them popping up that are just doing messaging, like communication strategies. Yeah. My, my fear is that their hands are not in the dirt, meaning again, they're, they're, it's almost like the branding, but it's a little bit different where if they're not pitching and getting that off the record feedback from journalists um, about, you know, a pitch and sending out pitch, like that's how you feel the market, right? Is when you right. pitch and a journalist like, yeah, this isn't really what's going on right now, you know, <laughs> but, but no, and they're, they're super helpful to journalists often, right? Uh, but yeah. if you have anything that's talking about this, 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 that's where we're at right now. That's the feedback that you're getting from the market that I think that if you're not out there pitching, and right. engaging with journalists, you, you're a little bit kind of flying blind. And I'm, and I'm seeing companies, you know, a, a lot of these, by the way, uh, strategic messaging companies send them to me after they've just come up with a communication strategy. And, 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 and again, it's off the mark. They're not, they're, they're tone deaf to what's going on, whether it's the privacy issues, you know what I mean? Like these are, these are dangerous things that you're only kind of tapping into if you're a consuming a shit ton of media or, or talking to journalists off the record all the time. Um, so I think it's really, really, you know, there, there's, and you know, it's problematic. 
Um, but it's, it's certainly, uh, it's not something, listen, I'm always happy when Israeli founders are spending more of their time and of the resources on building the, the, the soft skills of branding, messaging or whatever. Like this didn't happen, Max, a few years ago. And, right. you know, and it leads to the question of who's responsible. Are our founders essentially glorified CTOs or are they business leaders? Do they have yeah. the really, like, that's a tough question. Like, do they have the tools? You know, American uh, founders are very markety. It's part of the culture, you sure. know, that they come out of marketing. They're storytellers, you know, take a shot, use that word again. But <laughs> ultimately, um, we don't have that culture here. And, and the question is, you know, we have to build that pretty quickly now because selling a company while you're a, you know, a hotshot CTO and, and building great technologies was gr good enough to sell to other tech companies. But it, as we enter this new era, you have to communicate with investors. You have to sell a vision and you can't dump it on your marketer. You have to stand up there and do it. And, and that's demanding a whole new skill set that A, do the founders have, have? Are they interested in having? Do they respect it? Um, you know, and I see that, uh, you know, this frustration in the marketing ecosystem with the founders uh, that, you know, they're asking them to, to create miracles and, and they don't really know how to judge them, how to create KPIs. There is a tension going on right now uh, in the marketing ecosystem here. And by the way, people are turning to the VCs and saying, no, VCs, you've got to tell your founders, put aside, you know, add that marketer in early, get, get them in early, as early as possible, not at that A round, but already, you know, earlier, set up the right. cap tables that marketers have an incentive that they've got skin in the real skin in the game, not the bullshit, you know, uh, options that they're getting now, then you're hmm. going to see some action. And I think it's a really tough conversation because the VCs have been, they've had a pretty good system of, of winning, uh, by just focusing on the technology by the way most of the vcs here are not natural marketers as well so it's not like right. they have it's not like andreessen's backing you and they've got you know clubhouse and this media empire to kind of right. bolster you up um right. it's a different ecosystem here so we're kind of we're gonna you know it's easy to sell the scale up nation story but there's a lot more to it and it's going to take a, a little bit of a transition period for us to learn how to do this absolutely i, I completely agree um, and I, I do think, you know, you're going to continue to see the maturation and some of the, the knowledge and the best practices from the success stories flowing back down to help uh, sort of the next generation of, of founders and startups make, make fewer mistakes and potentially be more strategic in, in how they allocate and, and budget for marketing. A, as a VC, Max, do you think yeah. you guys have a role to play in that discussion? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we uh, we want the company to succeed, and we want the next round to be from a high quality investor. Um, and you know, we've seen that the the companies that really know how to tell the story first and foremost, and 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 sell a vision, uh, really tend to get you know the the most attractive investors to the next round. Um, but but be beneath the story, uh, just you know, sort of basic principles of how you. Um, you know, create your website and create your online presence and, you know, get a little bit of coverage here, get a little bit of coverage there uh, also makes the difference. So I, I think it, it becomes more and more strategic once, um, you know, sort of technology and product best practices become more commoditized, which I think they are in, in many senses, given the, you know, just the growth we've seen over the, the last decade in terms of the, the types of people who are, are founding startups. Uh, and I think marketing and 
potentially, you know, sales is, is, is even more developed than marketing because Israelis like to sell. <laughs> um, I think marketing is, is, a, is a space we're really uh, honing in on uh, at Lul, and I think others are, are also kind of waking up. I mean, the clubhouse, right, the, the Wednesday clubhouse where this is the topic and there's just very, I would say, uh, engaging debate, healthy debate happening right now uh, publicly about sort of what, um, what is the role of the VC and, and what are the, the types of people you need to bring on early on. And, and part of me at, at Lulcast and trying to sort of invite people like you, Mike, and, and others is really to, to help uh, map some of this knowledge and record it. My fear is that on Clubhouse, it's just sort of, you know, dissolving uh, with, with the room. And, and we, need to, we need to index and create this in a library format that founders can sort of draw from when they're, they're trying to make these decisions of, of who to hire and, and, and what to hire for. Um, Mike, I have one more question. Sorry, Max, to turn no, the yeah. table on you. No, not at all. Who are the founders going to be most influenced by to get this message across? Like, meaning, you know, I, 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 I'm almost, you know, the, apropos the, the clubhouse uh, discussions, you yeah. know, a lot of VCs have been there and, and I don't know that the VC is the right place. Like maybe it's listening. I, I, in my gut, I think it's listening to other founders tell the story. And by the way, we don't have that many in Israel that have put marketing at the forefront. Everybody mentions Lemonade and SodaStream and all these kind of consumery type brands. Gong is the exception, obviously. But, um, but is it founder? Are they going to listen to other founders? Is, is that yeah, who th- we got to get on? That, I think, you know, there, there's a, a team approach here where, you know, if you hear from more than one persona, it, it's more convincing. I think founders definitely have a stronger influence on some level other than maybe a few VCs that perhaps were founders before who have backed the most iconic brands in, in Israel and they have a little bit more influence in, in their, uh, their message. Um, but I think it's, it's sort of a team approach. You want to hear it from the founders in the portfolio that you're jumping into and how they've you know, valued marketing and, and seen results. You need to hear it from, from the VC because obviously you know, they've seen a ton of different companies over the years and, and can pattern match. So um, uh, while I agree with you that maybe it needs to be founder led, I think you need uh, as many influential and, and I would say successful voices who are, are saying something similar for it to really reach the, the inflection point. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, wrapping up final question, uh, it's been great, honestly, I've, I've learned a lot and I, I think, uh, hopefully our audience will, will have learned a bit as well. What is the, uh, what is the next few years in terms of the, the, the firm when it comes to PR? Like, how are you thinking about, uh, evolving and, and taking things to the next level? And maybe we've discussed a few of those things, um, subtly throughout, but if you had to kind of focus on just, just a few things that you're really excited on in terms of building out your your value proposition, what comes to mind? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's actually a great time. So first of all, obviously, you know, you, you can only plan so much and, and the ecosystem moves at such a crazy base. Um, so I was completely blindsided by, first of all, Corona, you know, created uh, such a, it showed me so much about this ecosystem, meaning, and again, we're very, very fortunate. Our portfolio is um, comprised of companies that, that raise pretty significant uh resources so we didn't get hit that hard and the israeli founders didn't take their foot off the gas for one second meaning they couldn't travel they couldn't do other forms of you know conference marketing um 
they showed a lot of grit, man. They stayed with it and in a tough, you know, news cycle to get in during Corona and they kept on ground, you know, grinding it out. And so like that showed me a lot uh, about like how far this ecosystem has come forward, right? Where a few years ago, you know, Israeli founders uh, or marketers only wanted, you know, short-term PR projects, very tactical or whatnot. Um, so, so first of all, I, you know, it's incredible. Um, as an agency, yeah, right now it's, it's taking that, you know, growth stage companies or companies that are moving into this, you know, post a round and, and moving to market leadership. We're going to continue focusing on that. We opened in London in November, 2019, had our first couple of unicorns out of there. Um, cool. yeah, super awesome. We're up to 25 unicorns. Um, the big challenge for us is now to, uh, to find a way to service, uh, a wider segment of this market. Meaning, you know, as you know, I get about, uh, you guys send a ton of companies. We get about 30 companies that we say that we aren't able to take on a week. So, so it's, how do you create? And if in the past they didn't need PR, they do now. So how do you right. create something that can bring them value um, and, and, you know, take them to the next level without having them spend a huge amount of resources because right. they're strapped. So that's what we're working on now. Um, and yeah, it's exciting. They're going to have to move again. It's, it's more thought leadership. It's more thinking out of the box. It's using, you know, a number of the other platforms that we talked about without the traditional because they don't have news. So, but they need to move in that direction. So right. that's kind of where the, the agency is kind of going to go in two directions where we have the growth direction. And then we've got the earlier stage where it's more trying to bring value through the strategic messaging and, and positioning and getting them involved in conversations earlier that will serve them well as they grow. Um, so yeah, it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, uh, we're so lucky to be here. Absolutely. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, I, I definitely think we'll have a follow-up conversation on these topics at, at some point when it's relevant. Super Max, thank you so much and uh, continue doing what you're doing, man. Thanks brother. All right. Take care.